Okay, Nathan, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Coolest guy in the house. Guys, welcome to Nathan Cage Injury Podcast. On the couch today, I've got the Jerry Laffey, famous for his art, rock and roll, drugs, sex, whatever it might be. But he is on the couch today discussing all the questions that you guys have asked. Um, if there's anything that you do, don't like, give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, comment. If there's something that you thought was funny or quite cool, then share it with somebody. Uh, Jerry, look, I know rock and roll, sex, drugs. Everyone knows that I don't drink that much, but today, I did open it. I was going to start opening it, but you can finish it. And it's a bottle of Moe for you. Oh, how um, very civilised of you. Everyone knows that I don't drink that much. Um, don't worry. <laughs> One thing I can do is open a bottle of champagne. There's not much I can do in life, but ladies and gentlemen, Amazing. that is how you open a bottle of champagne. Cheers to Jerry Laffey. Okay, so... Um, Right, we're going to have a glass of champagne while we do this chat. And the reason why is because it's going to be relaxed. We've known each other for many, many years. We have, yeah, indeed. Um, and I've always really wanted to have a sit down and chat with you because every time I've seen you, it's been me gossiping, going, Jerry, I'm doing this, Jerry, I'm doing that, Jerry, I'm doing this. And it's never been... Well, the funny thing is that you and I have been friends, as you say, for probably about a decade, but nearly always based around art stuff. Yes. And for those people who don't know Nathan, he has got quite a collection of my canvases. There's not many people, I would say you've probably included in this stuff in it, you must have close to 10 of my canvases. I must have. Cheers. That's what this one's for you. Oh, thank nice you very you. much. Salut. Salut. Here's to your podcast. Cheers. Okay. Salut. Um, so take me on this wonderful, take us on this wonderful journey. Tell us, we want to know more about the Jerry Laffey. You know, the funny, the funny thing is, as I was coming here today, I suddenly realised that we're on New North Road. New North Road was where my family lived when I was born. <laughs> okay. It's the smallest world, because I'm a Swiss cottage man, really. And that's, you and I met through uh, an estate in Swiss agent that's in Swiss right. cottage. They had your um, artwork well, stored. I had my artwork in there. It was one of the first places I put my artwork. I thought it was a good idea, rather than putting stuff in bub, pubs and clubs, putting it into a place where people are either buying or selling property. And actually, it did kind of launch me in a, in a way that I met lots of my clients through not just yours, but various uh, real estate places. But I digress. My family lived in New North Road in Trafford House, just about not, no more than 200 yards away. Amazing. And I was born in the, um, the Mother's Hospital in Hoxton. And within three months, we moved to that place in Swiss Cottage. And I met you when I was staying back at my mother's house in Swiss Cottage. But that journey is only one of several different kind of journeys I've, I've taken, really. And I, I really wanted to do this thing today because I thought it was really interesting the way... You've been very successful in your life and you've had some tough knocks as well. Same with me. I've had some real successes and some real downsides of it. But I think the key to it really is just to really love getting up every day. If you can be in a situation where every day you think, ah, oh, really, I have a friend of mine, Mason Storm, who always jokes about, oh, wicked, it's another Monday. Yeah. And it pisses everybody off because no one wants to get up on Monday morning. But he's like, yes, Monday. I just love that connection to the world. It's really great. And I have done lots of different things. The art stuff is something I've done consistent, consistently since I was about 17. Yeah. Worked at London Weekend Television when I left school. That's who I was going to be. Jerry Laffey, the famous artist. And I was thinking, you know, like 1970s album covers and that kind of stuff. And, you know, big houses out in... in um, you know, Gloucestershire or somewhere yeah. with, with sheep going around <laughs> being an artist. That was my <laughs> fantasy at the time. Drawing the lake. Whatever. I'm thinking much more about a rock and roll version of it, really, because I hadn't yet discovered rock and roll. It was, it was waiting to happen. Ironically, I was at London Weekend Television 
And uh, in a, in a, I was the junior in a graphic arts uh, department of about 20 really amazing different artists. And one of them was a guy called Pat Gavin. And Pat Gavin, um, he, he used to do like um, a South Bank show and lots of really kind of high profile things. But he was an old rock and roller. And he said to me one day, I was a 17 year old kid getting tea and bacon sandwiches. And I was talking about wanting to be a rock and roller. And he said, oh, I've got a Gibson guitar at home. You can buy, me, buy it off me if you want. And I, well, I don't have any money. So, <laughs> so I did a deal with him. I paid a hundred pounds and 10 pounds a week for 10 weeks. To was buy that cheap? Guitar. For me, it was like two weeks money. Yeah. Uh, so that wasn't cheap at the time, but it, it, I got a Gibson guitar. When I was 17, I had a Gibson guitar. And this was a 1958. It was probably, it must've been, a, uh, I would say an early sixties one. It's probably worth quite a lot of money now. And it had been beautifully sanded down and hand finished. And it was it, down to the natural wood. It was beautiful. And like any 17 year old, I sprayed it black in about <laughs> 10 minutes flat. This guy went fucking nuts. He was like, if I'd have known you were going to do that, I would have never have sold this Bet, to you. Absolutely. So anyway, I was there as me with my Gibson thinking I was you know, really going to rock and roll. And I met this guy, Philip Lewis through a mutual friend of mine, a guy called John Benson, who, who created the uh, Sugar, not Sugar Babes, um, Chasnay Lewis and crew. I can't remember the name of that band. Anyway. My wife will know if you're Your watching. Your wife will know. Sure. Um, so um, I want to say Sugar Babes, but it's not Sugar Babes. Um, and they did Black Coffee and all that stuff. Anyway, they're a big hit man, John Benson. And he introduced me to Philip Lewis because he was doing a session for him. And he was in a fringe theatre company with a rock star badge on playing a rock star and everywhere we went and hung out with androgynous looking good looking guys people said what band are you in and we thought hang on a minute this is just knocking on our door so sure enough we wrote um he wrote a song and i wrote a song and our first single was called my number because literally at that time it was his number and my number it was kind of a bit thin on the ground but we looked great and we uh we kind of just did things very um we just flew in the face of everything that was going on at the time. At the time, it was heavy metal and patches and denim and all that stuff. And we were wearing, you know, women's expensive clothes and people like Richard Tyler and driving an old second-hand Aston Martin that we flaunted as if it was brand new. And we'd wear old fur coats and, you know, we just looked like... serious? We were, That's crazy. We looked like we were rock stars. And Phil Lewis was dating Britt Eklund, who was a famous actress in the late 70s, of course. And um, I had a Saudi Arabian uh, prince boyfriend when I was 18 and then later on a baroness girlfriend and we were just <laughs> hanging out with those kind of weird <laughs> and wacky people. So people assumed that we were like rock stars. Yeah. If you, as I say, if it waddles like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck, right? To some degree there is. Musically, perhaps we weren't quite up to it. But anyway, so we released the first record. And we toured with loads of, you know, really fine rock bands of the 80s, like UFO. And we did three tours with UFO opening for them. And we toured with Kiss, which was less fun. But at least with Kiss, I think I mentioned this to you, uh, the fans were so diehard Kiss fans, they would sta stand at the front of the stage and spit at you. And we would go as far back as we could to get away from these kids <laughs> spitting at us. Most of the room liked us. And we were playing big venues, you know, like uh, we played Bingley Hall and D-Slide Leisure Centre and places like that. So by the time we got to London, we had two nights at Wembley. And the first night they were spitting on us and we were trying to get away from them and it was, wasn't great. The second night, the road crew put all of our gear as close to the front of the stage as we could. Oh, so just to be horrible, really. Yeah. 
So we walked and it was quite a triumph for 19, 20 year old kids picking up their stuff and walking out of Wembley refusing to play for Kiss and it was quite a, a feather in our cap. That is crazy. That's a mental story. Yeah, it was, but we were like, come on, you know, we might be starting out here, but don't take the piss. You I know? love that. If you've got people spitting in our faces and yeah. you're, you're pushing us to the point where we're going to get covered in it, we just said, fuck you, you know. What, a, what a, I mean, it's normal to swear on here. Uh, what a great lesson to learn. Do you That's know what? If, fucking early. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't like something, just don't do it. Ironically, you and I have talked about this many times. This is our motto in life. I think both of us, that's one of the reasons I think we made a connection really, is that you've, got to, you've really got to want to do what you're doing. I've done many things that have earned me money in the past that I've really disliked. Yeah. And I've done many things free of charge that have been absolutely wonderful. Sure. And um, I ha as I say, I, I digress again, but I went through rock and roll, coming from art, went through rock and roll, and then I met this young guy called Russell Mulcahy, who was a music video maker. And he was dragged from Sydney suburbs over to London and was banging out music videos, which were a very new thing at the time. He, his the, was the first music video ever on MTV, Video Killed the Radio Star. But when I first met him, he was doing like Cabaret, Cabaret Voltaire last week, Sex Pistols this week, uh, Spandau Ballet next week. He was really churning these things out. And we became friends through our, through our mutual friends at London Weekend Television. And at the end of Girl Days, which went from 79 to 82, he said, look, you're managing this band and you're not really happy with where the band's going. You've got all these record company problems and stuff. I just want to make movies. And I've been making these little movies for years trying to get over to there. But, you know, I just want to make film. I don't want to do with the business side of it. And it so happened that I thought, well... I've got a big mouth and I know how to sell things. I could be the perfect guy for this. So as it, with the way it transpired, we went to Australia. We went on a, on, a, on a trip to Australia. And while we were down there, we heard about these guys who were looking for a director to make a film about a killer pig. Well, if anyone knows Australia, Razorbacks are not pigs. They are giant VW-sized <laughs> boars oh, that will rip you apart. And they, people do get eaten. They're and, monsters, you know, they, they are monsters. And they're out in the outback and... This one was a particularly huge monster. But the bottom line of this one, it was an Australian product, uh, project, $5 million local money. If it wasn't a success in Australia, it wouldn't travel overseas. So we came up with this plan. And that was to say yes to this film. He hadn't read the script. And I went in, we went in as producers and they said, are you going to do it? And I said, yeah, you've got to put six figures on the table for him. And we're going to do da, 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 da. The deal was done in about two minutes. And it was great. And he was like... What have I just done? He's like, you know, you hadn't read the script. And he's like, no, we're going to do this thing. But what we're going to do, we can go back to England. And in six weeks, we did it's something I should know for Spandau, uh, for Duran Duran. True for Spandau Ballet. Um, I'm still standing. And that's why they call it Blues for Elton John. Ice House, Hey Little Girl. And Bonnie Tyler, Total Eclipse of the Heart. The week that we wow. finished, the week that we finished those videos, True had hit number one both sides of the Atlantic. The time we premiered the film, Total Eclipse of the Heart had hit number one both sides of the Atlantic. So no one knew yeah. that Russell had gone for that year. They, he, he just had one hit after the other after that the other. That is insane. And his career somehow had gone zoop, like this. But we'd been away making a movie, so it was really fortuitous. We just got really lucky. He was a really great video director and was much in demand so it wasn't hard managing him do you think it was do you think he created his own luck 
Or you think you created your own luck together in terms of you just you just thought, do you know what, I'm going to do as much as I possibly can? There is no doubt that he had the talent and the eye and all that stuff. I think that he'd reached a bit of a plateau and yeah. didn't quite know how to make the jump into mm. this other, you know. For me, I, I was, my feeling was, it, you know, it's quite easy to manage someone who's much in demand. It's much harder to manage someone whose who's career goes on the way. And, mm. and I, I managed Russell for 15 years and I never had that situation where his career was on the, on the wane. Um, but in the early days, some of it was extraordinary. You'd have, you'd have people that would just, they wouldn't take no for an answer. Wow. They'd say, oh, well, he's not available, he's this. Yeah, but we want to, you know, we'd wait and the artist would cancel the tour and the artist will this. And some people was just like, you know, I won't name names, but there were some bands who became household names that were launched, really. I mean, one of them, I can say quite uh, evidently, they've admitted it themselves, was Duran Duran. EMI went to Russell and said, we've got this, these bunch of guys from Birmingham. Do you want to choose a couple of songs and do the videos for them? We'll go with whatever your lead is. That's wow. how influential he was. That is men, that's crazy, isn't it? And, and actually, talking about Duran Duran, at the, at the end of, like, I think it was about a dozen videos or something he, he did while I was managing him, starting with um, Planet Earth. But the last one was Wild Boys. And Wild Boys was a project that he owned the rights for. He bought the, the book rights from William Burroughs. And we happened to be on a boat in, in Greece in 84, 85, and bumped into Simon Le Bon, who was on his yacht in, as you do, right, in the 80s. So there was these two yachts going around Santorini and, um, you know, the, the Greek islands for two weeks. Lots of libation, lots of kind of fun. <laughs> and Simon came up with the idea of, wouldn't it be great if we, had a, we did a music video that was... The band were all in jeopardy and all in threat. We're so cosseted and we're so luxuriated because of our status. Wouldn't it be great if we were like in peril? Not too real, but peril. <laughs> and so came up with the idea of being strapped to this windmill that was going round and round and his head was getting ducked underwater. Now, I thought that was quite ironic because this was, that was the very early days of kind of with a video and Russell did lots of meetings with the band and they formulated this whole thing. And he did a, a 10 minute stylized version of the movie he wanted to make. But it occurred to me that this one day down in Shepparton where Simon was literally stuck upside down on strapped to this thing, thinking that wasn't such a great bloody idea anyway, because <laughs> that really did happen. The wheel did turn around and it managed to stop just as oh, his head no. was underwater. So there was divers down there. <gasps> it, was, it, was quite, it was quite perilous. But um, sometimes these things just, you know, they, they happen for, at the right time for the right reasons. You yeah. Know? So music videos led us into, into films and uh, films led, I mean, Russell went more, he wanted to make films more and more and I've always wanted to do other things too. So I did go back to doing art stuff. I did carry on doing music stuff in, Girls Split Up in 82 and in 85, I played with a band called the London Cowboys. Yeah, I, I've heard the London Cowboys. Going back to Girl, mm. I mean, you played in Japan, right? Yeah, one of the first big gigs I did was three nights in Japan, in Tokyo, in a place that's about the size of Hammersmith Odeon. And that was really wow. extraordinary to go from waiting for a bus to go down to play at the Marquee, which is what literally we were doing in London. And the next thing there was, I remember we had the same security people as Queen had just had on their tour, like a couple of months, or we were feeling really self-important because we had security. And we didn't realize until this one quite horrible experience, actually, they said to us, when you get into the car, going to the venue, don't open the window for any reason. But of course, when you're surrounded by a group of fanatical girls all screaming your name, yeah. 
and offering you gifts and showing you their room keys and all of this stuff. Some, one of us got tempted and opened the window a bit and this girl reached in to give a gift to one of the band members, I won't say who, just as the car sped off. And i never forget the image of this young girl in her late teens with a look of horror on her face right next to me. She was only the other side of the glass as she was being dragged along by this car. So all of a sudden we realised that the security wasn't about us, it was about securing the people and their insanity around you. You don't realise that, you know, well, you forget when you're 14, 15 or 16, you get really excitable. Yeah, for sure. Music can get you really well, I've excited. I've seen it, these, girl, these guys and girls at concerts, they go absolutely mental. I mean, they're, they're bawling their eyes out, they're crying. Yeah. Is that what it, really what it's like? It's, yeah, we had, a, we had a, a glimpse of it, but I mean, obviously working with Russell, I saw a lot of Duran Duran playing live. Sure, yeah. And also, you know, in, in, from 1970 to 2000, I played in John Taylor's band. And it was quite interesting to see him in his, in his hiatus days, yeah. you know, a close thing, but then also to be in a band with him and know how he thought musically and creatively. And the drummer, and we had a band called Terrorist, and which obviously, after 91, we had to drop that name. It wasn't a very appropriate name going in and out of countries with a terrorist on your stuff. It's not, <laughs> no, not a great sure. idea. But anyway, uh, Larry Aberman, the drummer, and I used to walk about 10 or 15 paces behind John when we would go in and out of airports and stuff because it's about 10 paces late when people turn to their partner and their sister and their whatever. That's John Taylor Yeah. And the reaction, some people go, well, like it was really bizarre. All these years later, you know. Is there anyone I've that... literally seen? I've literally seen more than one girl wet themselves just meeting him. That's crazy. I mean, do, do you ever get? Did you ever get star? Was anyone that you got starstruck from meeting back in the day? So when you were in your bands and you know living the life, was there, anyone... was, there would still be people that I get. I would get starstruck right now. If Jeff Beck walked through the door, I'd probably be erect. You know what I mean? There's people that I absolutely love and adore. That they're my they're my heroes. Yeah. Jimmy Page is one of them. Jeff Beck is another one. I've really got a thing about. Johnny Depp too, I think he's a great musician, he's a fantastic actor, he's got a career of really great decision making, I think. You know. and the, the, can you imagine the wine cellar of that guy? Yeah, can you imagine, imagine if you flew from LA to London with Johnny Depp, the wine that would be caught. <laughs> I mean, be crazy. I'd be interested in that. Someone just came into the studio not long ago, and I won't yeah. mention the name, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were as cool as a cucumber, you're like, I know no, you because you no, The funny thing is, I, do, I, I don't know him, and yeah, he's a very famous person who's right next door, but he happened to live opposite a gallery that I'd worked with. Yeah. So I knew him in a, in a different context. And sure. no, I wouldn't, usually, I wouldn't usually fall apart with people like that. But you see, when I met him, I was like, oh my God, hi, how you doing? Like, Carver, let's have a chat. Let's, you know, have a, have a photo. But Jerry's like, cool. Uh, no, but the funny thing... You live is, next door to me? The, 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 <laughs> the funny thing is, actually, because I haven't met some people who are real, like... I remember my, my friend Britt Eklund used to take me on, on, on a few of these things that she was invited to. You know, the, uh, the press junkets for Bond films. And there was one particular time which was the 100th anniversary of British film industry. And I was sitting on a table with her as her guest in this thing, <clears throat> in my finest tuxedo and trying to behave myself, which is very difficult. And sitting at the table with us were Sir John Mills and his lovely wife, were Shannon Doherty, me and Britt, um, and um, Richard E. Grant. Okay. Now, I love Richard E. Grant, and I absolutely love uh, Withnail and I. So the fact that he was prepared to sit and give me all of the soup, you've got soup in all of these <laughs> classic lines, it's just fabulous. And there are a couple of people that I've met, and, uh, and one of them who used to be in the Bond films, you can work out which one, who swears quite a lot. 
And so if you can imagine a Scottish accent <laughs> saying quite a lot of swear words. Yeah, yeah. Now that took me back a little bit. And he used to call me boy, actually. I thought that was very sweet. And we, I, we did Highlander 1 and 2, you know what I'm talking about. And he used to call me morning boy. <laughs> it was just really lovely and that it was charming so when you meet some people like John Mills and they're absolutely charming or someone like Shorty who's just you know a delight really despite what people might say it's always slightly disarming yeah. and then there's other people who might be I don't know a guitar player in some relatively small band who really comes in like a a cockatoo and thinks he's really, you know, so those type of people are less impressive, aren't they? Yeah, it is metric. quite funny because I, I actually think that that guy was more nervous to meet you than you were to meet him. He probably had, he no, he probably had no idea who I was. Nonsense. He did, he did, he exactly he did he see were. the CD on the table, so he might have gone, okay. Yeah, but no, but, but, um, no again, and it's like, I think that to have, I think it's fun. I, I have two personalities. Well, I probably have 22 personalities, but I certainly have two personalities that when I go on stage, this thing about you know what you wear and what you put on and your that two minutes of psyching yourself out into it, be, I can easily become this other character. Yeah. So uh, the partner I am and the dad I am and the the teacher I am are not the same person that I would be on stage. Yeah, my sure. first instinct as a guitar player is to look for something to put my foot up on so I can pose. You know, it's just a it's a different thing. But I find that maybe it's a defence mechanism. Yeah, I think you, well people you know, maybe that's part of your job. That's the showman in you. So but when I first started doing this, when I was 18 or 20, I used to be very androgynous with lipstick and, you know, the big hair and looking as, you know, like as horny, if you like, as a young woman yeah. as I could. We used to have a saying in girl days, I'm more woman, a more man you'll ever get, a more woman than, no, a more woman than you'll ever get, a more man than you'll ever be. Because mm. there were people who would just, you know, slag us off and call us faggot and all that stuff. And it's actually quite amusing when you're, you're called faggot and you're denigrated, then you go off and you get into uh, an Aston Martin with your Baroness girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Is that like a... Well, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit like, well, fuck you. And it doesn't, didn't really matter to me that I came from working class background. Did it, did it bother you, people saying faggot, gay? Uh, no, it didn't really, but it did bother us when they got physical about it, and that yeah, happened, that's, that's happened more than a few times. Yeah. I remember I was playing one gig in Port Talbot in, in Wales, and some guy went, hey, and I turned around and he sprayed um, uh, hair lacquer in my eyes, in my eyes. And actually, there was two guys, and I knew that there were other band members in the room. So my memory of this, and I might have been pissed, and I might be making this up, but I don't think so. I just punched both of them at the same time, <laughs> because that defended me somewhat. And immediately, people came to, because I couldn't see what I was doing, and I just went like nah, this. Yeah. And, and actually, the guitar player, Phil Collin, who's uh, anyone who knows Def Leppard now knows that Phil is a black belt in various you know, he, he's more than, yeah. he could probably kick a glass off the top of your head and you're six foot two. You Amazing. Know. But he got attacked outside Sheffield City Hall, which is ironic because he went to join one of Sheffield's biggest ever bands, Def Leppard. So, you know, and coming out of the Sheffield City Hall one night, we got attacked by a group of queer haters. Wow. Weird, isn't it? I, don't, I, really? never, I never understood, um, I've never really understood uh, that kind of loathing other than my first assumption would be that they're, they're closeted and they've got some type of sexual hang-up. Yeah, probably. Because they want some physical contact with, with someone you. they know to yeah, be gay. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know... feel oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, I, if I... Well, maybe, yeah, if, if I can't control this, then maybe I can control oh, you. Yeah. It's really weird, I don't know. Jerry, look, 
I love your artwork, and we're going to go through it in a minute, but there's going to be some people that want to know about these questions. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, cool. you can go through them as quickly or as slowly as you wish, yeah, but the first go. question would be, yeah. and I quite like this one, uh, what is the goal you set yourself that you're most proud about of achieving? Well, again, uh, as I say, I've, I've had lots of different hats. I've had um, graphic artist hat, I've had video maker hat, I've had manager hat, you know, film producer hat didn't quite work. I think working with people with learning difficulties, for me, I work in a college and have done for 10 years, and before that I did seven or eight years, some of it voluntarily, some while I got qualified and stuff. I found, how this started off, I hurt my back when I was playing with John Taylor, and I went back to art college just because I was pretty incapacitated, and there was a woman sitting next to me who was going like this, and I said to her support worker, if you move the fucking paper, she might be able to come up with a you know, Olympic flag at the end of the week, give her a break, you know, fuck's sake. So anyway, I started working with this woman and I kind of enjoyed it. And I started doing my artwork and not a million miles away from the stuff you've got around here and you've collected, you know, the sequins and all of that stuff. Mm. And I, uh, as a novice, I needed somewhere to put it on a wall so I could take photographs. And I found this cafe in Kentish Town Road, which is five minutes away from where I live now. And it's a, a place with people with learning difficulties, and it was 20 quid a month, white walls, and I thought, that will do for me. It's all I need. I need to put some stuff up. I invited some people, very pretentiously invited about 100 people to this cafe to go see. <laughs> loads of people turned up and yeah. said, shit, I didn't realise you did all of this too. So that was kind of interesting. And one of the things that happened there was this young woman said to me, I like your picture. I know people who've got some sparkly things, and I thought, that's really sweet of her. Yeah. Anyway, cut a long story short, I went to this place, and it turned out to be Swarovski's old storeroom in Kentish Town Road. Oh, my God. <laughs> they, they said to me, here, do you want some carrier bags? Take what you want. And oh I was like, you're wow. shitting me. So anyway, I went in there and there was like four carrier bags of Swarovski, Swarovski pearls and stones and all of this stuff later as, as um, epitomised by the iguana on my yes, website. Is that right? where it come from? All comes from this Swarovski stuff, right? Unbelievable. I love that and, iguana. Um, I said to them, listen... I, all I do is stick this stuff onto canvases. Why don't I come and do it with some of your support workers? And I ended up doing a year's voluntary there. Every Wednesday, I ran an art class there. And so I thought, well, while I'm doing this, I might well get qualified for this. Yeah. So I went to City Lit in the evening, and I thought, okay, this is interesting. I can earn 15, 20 quid an hour doing something that this this much fun. Yeah. And... So I went from there. I did a couple of other voluntary things, but I worked at a place called Centre 404, which was... Um, was uh, Mencap Islington previously. And I was their art teacher there for a couple of years and I would do two hour sessions. And like I was telling you earlier, you can take a picture of, of someone's face, put it with tracing paper up against the window. Within five minutes, it looks like you and you can take it home. Instead of being fridge artwork, it goes in a frame and it sits in a pride of place. Yeah, amazing. Great for self-esteem. And I had this organization. Great tip. Uh, yeah, this organisation that I put together called Big as a Skyscraper Art Club. Now, you could put 12,000 sequins on like I did, or you could put rice and black pepper on it like we were yeah. talking about. Okay, so you can do it like that, or you can be like this. Most people aspire to be right up this end. Yeah, they course. don't want to know about that. They want to, how do you do it in gold leaf straight away? You know. I do love and gold leaf. And it's lovely. And, you know, yeah, and then the next week you say, like, today we're going to build the Eiffel Tower in matchsticks. Right, let's do it. Because they're like convinced they can do it. You yeah, know? Of course. It's, it's just really lovely. So I consider my... 
the thing that I've done that I'm most proud of, apart from a dozen films and 30 albums, which seem like a bit of a labour of love in hindsight, is working with, with people with learning difficulties because I've seen so many people come in as mice, mm. especially in a college situation. Two years later, they leave as lions. Yeah. They really are... Like, they, they grow... Like, they, well, they you know, if you, do you remember at school... We get to 11, yeah. we're the biggest Boy. fish in the pond, and yeah. all of a sudden you're a minnow again. Yeah, and that's, that's right. really hard, and definitely with college, especially people with learning difficulties, they get to the end of college, and some of them have been there since they were five or six, and they get to 16 or 17, and all of a sudden they're newbies in this wow. big place with really cool people and people who are, that, you know. No, it must true. be very hard. And, um, I so that's consider, rewarding. I think that's for me has been the. Mate, that's a know, huge achievement. And that's. Yeah. It's achievement also because I was Jerry and I were talking. And it's something that you have a passion for, and that's something that you love, and you're achieving. So not only you can earn money from it, it's not all about the money. It's that you're you're no. doing something that you love, but you're surviving from it. Well, having said that, I mean I am a qualified teacher now. So last year I was teaching, and you earn twice the amount of money if you're teaching. You earn about thirty quid an hour, but you got way more work to do and I don't really want to deal with managers and quanti- you know I don't really want to deal with the spreadsheets no, and paperwork and all that stuff I want to deal with the students yeah. so I work as what's called an LSA a learning support assistant but I'm always being upgraded to being a teacher when someone's not there or whatever but I don't have any of the meetings or the paperwork or the responsibilities so it's like the I, practical stuff yeah it's yeah. really where I want to be so between my job and my lodger I start the month not having to worry about money amazing so if I do something with my I mean, I've just released Please. another album. I've just released a girl DVD. I've got an art show this month with uh, Asylum Asylum 2, Artist Management. I've got a show, um, two shows at Lauderdale House this year with the Jerry Laffey Art Collective. Now, that's, a, that's something that's really close to my heart because that combines my art, my management skills, and my SEN skills all together. Yeah. I came up with the idea of, of uh, if I have any name at all, which I may or may not, it might open certain doors. I, I can usually get a bit of press. Yeah. The local papers will usually take a sniff of what I'm doing for one reason or another because you can drop a few names and you can say this, that and the other. Cool. So I thought, well, if I put that together with people I know who are really great artists, people mm. with learning difficulties are really great artists, but they could know soon, they can do hair and they could do your bid exactly with 13,862 follicles, right? But they could not look you in the eye and say, Nathan, this is 700 pounds. Wow. So what I do, again, going back to me and my big mouth, thanks Jesus, or whoever's (laughs) up there, is combine the fact that, okay, well, if I've got an art show and you're a cool mate of mine, you've got an art show and and we're gonna have 14 people, but the trick is we're not gonna tell you who's got a learning difficulty, who's an artist, Who's a pro? Who's a student? Oh, wow. We're just mixing them all up. That's amazing. So That's when we have this first show, the first show at Lauderdale, I'm purposely not putting names on the artwork. Mm. There's going to be 20, 30 pieces of artwork in a room. Yeah. And some of them are going to be top flight people in the game. And other people are going to have a learning difficulty. And we're not going to... We're not going to I like that. It's never judged then, are they? No, and no, the prices the prices certainly won't differentiate. differentiate. No, you won't should have they? that's thirty pounds and that's seven hundred pounds. Yeah, it's no, not gonna happen. No, that shouldn't and that that should that art is art. Yeah, and, and, o- and often people who have got particularly on the autistic spectrum, they've got such attention to detail. Yeah. They're it's miraculous. Yeah. And you know, they and it's unfortunate that, that they they have a learning difficulty that might interrupt their otherwise huge success. Sure. You know? Yeah, agreed. Um, what's the craziest thing you've ever done? Um 
Oh, I don't know. I've done so many crazy things, Nathan, I can't begin to tell you. From, we had this, this friend of mine, the, the Saudi prince had a house down in Oxford and on a Friday night, often with way too much marching powder and often booze in us, <laughs> we get in the Aston Martin and go down there. And when you hit the flyover, the, I think it was um, Northolt Air Base, the lights go from here, anyone who they knows really this, low. they go really low. Yes. At that point, we kick the Aston into fifth gear and take our seat belts off. Yeah. Don't ask me why, that's crazy. <laughs> Um, one of the things you did mention was about about people having an extraordinary sense. I was work, uh, born up, uh, brought up as a working class kid. I never had a smart uh, uncle who said to me, "Boy, you've got to save. You've got to put some money into right now." I've got gold and silver hidden all over the place, and yeah. I've got ISA, and I've got my head is slightly better on. In those days. Fuck that. Let's go left on a plane. I ain't going business class. Business, fucking business class. So honestly, it's all very well saying I've been on Concord several times. And, yeah. and guess who I sat next to on, on the plane going to New York this morning. In, you know, and it's like, but really, the amount of money I burn in. Oh, my like, God. Instead of giving it to Pan Am, I should have been, should have been buying warehouses down in King's Cross. But <laughs> degrees, in yeah, no. degrees in hindsight. Absolutely. Right? Oh, I like that. Okay. Um, What's the hard, who's the hardest person you've had to work with? Um, well, the thing is, there's a lot of people that you work with are really, they're very particular how, about how they want things done. And that's why I've produced, in the last three albums I've done, I've played all the instruments and I've written it and I've produced it. Not really because I'm the best person for the job because I can't, I've got no one to argue with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. But there's many people I've worked with, it's collaborative force. So often, especially in films, I only put one movie together. I've worked on a dozen films with Russell, but I've only put one movie together for myself where, as a producer. And I had $22 million in account and several heads in a room couldn't fucking agree to... I'd wish that they all just pissed off. And, yeah. you know, cause, and, I've, and I've run businesses too where people have asked me to manage businesses and then counter-managed every move. And that yeah. I find really extraordinarily annoying. So I try not to do that anymore. I can't think of any particular person, but there are certainly people that I've worked with that have reputations for yeah. being awkward, but they just don't want to, particularly don't want to get killed on set. That's yeah. a big one. Mm. I mean, the, the Scottish man we were talking about earlier, on the first day of Highlander, Clancy Brown, who was the, um, the Kurgan in the film, comes in with a sword the size of that brush and goes crash right in the middle of a table in front of him and the sword blade comes off the thing and he said okay well how about we not do this because i don't this is just a movie yeah. if he can't you know differentiate between being the kurgan and the actor that is on his dressing room then i'm not you know so and that's not being difficult that's saying you know there's a famous one in rock and roll Van Halen famously used to, you know, a rider is, right? Yeah. I want my champagne, I want a black sofa, mm -hmm. I want this and I yeah. want that. And Van Halen, which are one of the biggest rock bands of the 80s and 90s in America, said, we want M&Ms but no brown ones. And everyone used to think that was so petty and so childish. Yeah. But their reckoning was... If you can't even fucking get that right, yeah, what else how can... are we not going to get electrocuted when we go on stage, <laughs> right? Good. And there, are, and this is like a, it's like a it's rudimentary a job interview, yeah. you know. And if someone, if you, you know, if if you've got a, a, a form and you say use blue pen only, and someone uses a black but, pen, stick it in the bin, right? Yeah. It's what you're going to do. But the same thing goes on. I'm something. This is something I'm always working on with my my students. Is about 
you know, about punctuality and, you know, punctuality and attendance and those kind of things. These are 101. What is a job? Well, people give me a load of money. For, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. A job is something you do for someone else that will pay you for it, but they haven't got time or inclination to do it or they think you're better at it. Than them. Them. That's all it is. It's yeah. nothing about you, a job. Because whatever job you're doing, there's 20 other people that could replace you like this. Yeah, you know? agreed. I like that. Um, okay, so let me go back into this. Okay, uh, what... Oh, I like this one. What is your favourite bit of artwork you have made and why? Ah, interesting. I really like the stuff I've been doing for the last couple of years, which is um, A3, and they are... I separate the blacks onto acetate and I, and I mount them six millimetres apart. Then I put them on light boxes. And I like the fact that they have got a three-dimensionality to them. It means that I can work usually quite fast. I've got a really good printer. It prints up good quality stuff for me. And um, I, spent, I, I spent lots and lots of time like doing meticulous work. And I don't really like doing that anymore. I spent lots of time like with... I've, done 20 or 30 canvases that have got like eight or 10,000 sequins on it. Oh my God, wow. After a while, you start dreaming it. You wake yeah. up going, because oh. <laughs> what you have to do, they're holographic sequins. They have to go this way up. You have to pick them up with a pin. So you turn them over, you pick them up with a pin, you put the glue down and they have to be, you know. But that's why they're sold for thousands. Yeah, I did sell them yeah. for thousands. Yeah. And, you know, and it got to a point where I was thinking, all right, I saw, like, for example, though, the Kabuki, that one you've got up on the wall, they were 3,000 each. I did six of them and I sold all of them. I think I've got that, that one is still available, maybe, yeah. depending on yeah. what we do. So, you know, but basically, and I just thought, that's a lot of work for mm. that. Plus, when you sell through a gallery, half of it goes to the gallery. And yeah. I just thought, oh, I haven't got real time or inclination for this stuff. And now if I do a picture, I mean, I, I, I've, I'm really fortunate. I've got people who come back to me time and time again. And I've got these social media platforms that people say, oh, I like your music. Oh, I didn't know you did art. That's kind of cool. Mm. That's cool. Do you do any rock and rollers? Yeah, I do. Have you got any Bowie? No, but I've got Ronson, who's my favorite. Oh, I like, I like that. that. But yeah, you know, exactly. And that's the way that tends to go. I don't suppose you've got anything by Lemmy. No, but I could. Yeah. yeah. And I need to enjoy it, really. And spending seven weeks, eight weeks on something, it's, a bit, it's not, not, not for you right anymore. Now. No, not fair enough. Uh, what's the best out of the three? Sex, drugs, or rock and roll? Well, I like all three of them, Good strangely. question. That. I, like that. I like all three of them. I've been with my partner for 10 years, so that's obviously still rocking. <laughs> um, drugs, don't do drugs anymore. I used to smoke a lot of weed yeah. over the years, but I gave, I gave that up. Did weed um, help with your creative juices, get, get, them, get them flowing? It's, a bit of a well, some, some people say so, mm. but I don't know. The last two albums I did, in 2013, I had an arterial resection, which is a really serious operation where they remove seven inches of your colon. It was, well, in my case, and it wasn't very pleasant. My brother's just been through something very similar. And uh, that process, I had septicemia. I was really ill. I went into hospital. They said, oh, you really got a major problem here. And basically... I recorded two albums that year. Now, the way I recorded those albums were categorically with a big fat joint first thing in the morning. And I'd go into a room and I'd go, I'd put in a, on a tempo. And I'd sit looking there, stoned out of my head at the ceiling or whatever. <laughs> By lunchtime, I would have a bass and I'd have guitars and I'd have the basses of a song. By tea time, I would have lyrics written. By the end of the day, I'd have a song written. So wow. both of those albums... I was do I did 22 songs like that first thing in the morning big fat joint yeah 
And so there must be something to it. It's not like I was sitting there going, oh, no, I really is need it be- to... I think, is it because... Like, for my next experience. album I'm going to do straight, that's, that's for sure. Okay. The next album I'm not going to do with any... Any, any drugs. No, um, I, I, I do would... like a glass of Sancerre now. <laughs> a bottle of champagne <laughs> I won't say no to. No, of course. I'm not a big drinker and I've never been into... Never been into any other job. I dabbled with things, but only in no. the 80s. Yeah, I haven't taken enough. anything else. All right. Okay, cool. So what would you go with? Would you go with the rock and roll then? I'd have to go sex? with rock and roll. Sex is great, but yeah. it's, especially it's when you love someone. But there's something about rock and roll. That first five minutes after the house lights go down, you can't beat that. I've no. never had any sex or drugs that's come close to that. Fair enough. Um, I like this question as well. Have you ever thrown a TV out the window? No. And does that actually happen? Yes, it does happen. Does that, it really? Yes, well, it, it well. did do in the days. But you've got to be an idiot to start. I mean, I, I, I've worked with certain people, and I'm not going to say who they are. Um, <laughs> who have really completely trashed hotel suites. I mean, really? fully, well, like... That one. Really? Or someone who might, might who's that, a penguin? No. But some people have... What, that uh, one? Some people have, can't say no. Oh, okay. Some people have literally smashed stuff up and like had to buy the hotel suite. What? But not me. Okay. One thing I have done, which I, I don't know why the hell I did it as well. As I said to you, you were talking about guitars earlier and, and I've got about seven guitars now and I've just bought another one. But in the 80s, I used to have like 35 guitars at one point. And when I lived in Oakley Square, the, the whole ground floor was a studio and a music room. And downstairs, as I came downstairs one night, evidently drunk, the, the, the drummer from Girl and She Agreed, two of the bands I worked with, was um, a Japanese collector of various things. And one of the things was a very sharp guitar. <laughs> And this one day, the katana went right through the middle of one of my guitars, literally right dead oh centre, and stayed there. It didn't sploot, it just stayed there. So for about six months, this katana was sitting in the middle of this That's guitar. That's pretty cool. And every time they come to the bottom stairs, they go, oh my God, right through. I can't remember what it was now. I think it was um, a three pickup Ibanez or something. The one that Phil Collin used to made really famous, but we had these... These guitars endorsed, we were endorsing Ibanez, and this went right through the headstock. That's pretty rock Perfect. and roll. It was pretty rock and That's roll. That's yeah. pretty rock and it roll. It killed that guitar, yes. Yeah. It, did. <laughs> it definitely killed it. Uh, two people that you would have over for a drink. So this is getting a bit more casual now, isn't yeah. it? But two people that you would have for a drink. So if you had two Alive dead or dead? Either or. Well, I always had a massive fascination for um, John Lennon. He's really definitely a hero of mine. I, I've had dinner with Ringo, less impressive, wow. frankly. But still it's, very impressive to many people out there. Maybe he moaned a lot through dinner. I won't say <laughs> where and how, but uh, but that was interesting, actually, because that was supposed to be someone else coming, and we said, oh, I don't know about that, and he said, oh, don't worry, we'll get Ringo to come. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> some some people are rather, rather clever with that. But um, I don't know. I would say... Thank you. I would say... Lennon and Dali. Dali, wow, okay. I think Dali would make a very interesting dinner guest. Oh, let me put this lobster in your head. (laughs) (laughs) No, hello, who's that? (laughs) That's good. Um, What's your most embarrassing moment? Because you're Um, you're quite a chilled out guy, aren't you? I am pretty chilled out. I've done... I have done a couple of interviews, like on television interviews, that I've looked back later and thought, oh, he said way too much there. I tend to be a person that wears my heart on my sleeve. Mm. I don't really hold back too much, you know. Yeah. 
I'm not even talking about having a drink. No, you, no, you don't take not, yourself too. Se- you definitely no. don't take yourself too seriously. You really. But don't. I remember one one time, and I'd, I, well, a couple of times being on stage and being so drunk on stage, which was a rule that we rarely broke, but it did happen occasionally. I remember we played one show in Leeds, and we in girl days, and we played a show in Leeds, and I was fell over on stage, and I was so drunk I couldn't get back up. <laughs> Someone had to literally physically pick me back up. That was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> That's but I did cool. an interview for, I can't remember what show it was now, some rock show, and it was on camera, and I looked kind of nervous and not com- at comfort with myself, and they asked me what I was doing, and I said, oh, I've just been offered this multiple album deal by Warner Brothers, and, and I had been talking to Warner Brothers, and within about two minutes of this thing going out, I never got another call from them, so whatever well. happened, it wasn't really... I said too much. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But you know, if you do, then it wasn't meant to happen anyway. Agreed, hundred yeah. um, percent. What could, what advice would you give someone, maybe the young artist, young guitarist, someone looking just to find some a passion in what they do? What advice would you give someone, like just go and fucking do it? Do like, what you love. I mean, that is it. You you cannot pursue art. But people music. will say, oh, Jerry, it's easier for you and said and done. No, it's, no, it's not. Why is it easy for I me? I mean, what I did when I when I was sixteen and I left school at Easter with no qualifications and no nothing, thinking I was going to be Elvis. I started work on that. I finished work on a Friday and on the Monday I started sweeping floors and making tea at an art company because that's what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'm never going to get qualifications. I'm not that bright academically. I can't be fucked to go to school every day. I've been bunking off for two and a half years. Why am I going to, all of a sudden, this is going to, you know. So I thought, I'm going to have to graft it. I went and I grafted it and I ingratiated, ingratiated myself and endeared myself to people there and did what was needed. And understood at a very young age that a job is what we were saying earlier, is doing something that somebody else needs. It's yeah. not about you. No, it's not. And I always really grafted, and anything I do in any particular day, even like in my college, if I'm, if I'm going in one day and I'm supporting a class in cooking, I'll be the best possible help I can be to that room cooking an apple pie. So a great bit of advice is like always just be your best self. That, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's it. no point in attempting anything. If you can't, there's no point in brushing your teeth if you're not going to do it well. No, I agree. And, and I think if you're going to make a meal, if you're going to make an egg, egg, eggs and bacon, make it the best eggs and bacon you possibly can do it. I love that. I love you know, that. Because... And, and that has to apply to everything in your life. But I do believe that, in, you know, if you're a plumber and you really hate it, then you shouldn't be plumbing. You should yeah. be doing something else. You, even if it's like, if, if you're a dog walker, yeah. and if you love dogs and you can't wait to get up because, oh, I'm seeing Rusty this morning. He's the sweetest dog ever. Yeah. That should be the core of your life. I, th- I think that I have, both of us probably have pursued certain things at a time in our life which were financially orientated. Mm-hmm. But I'm 60 next birthday, and I'm really lucky to be in a position where I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. I don't have a mortgage to pay. Mm. I have enough to get by, and I've got a bit tucked away. Yeah. So I have to, don't have to do anything that people don't that people want me to do that I don't want to do. And you've got you've done that by doing the stuff that you love. And you like you, I've only ever done stuff that I've loved. And when things when I'm really lucky, or by but I've had to leave certain things. Yeah, there there was one There's time. Been a sacrifice. There is one time where I think I worked and I was a manager in ambient media sales for a very big company in the West End, in Brettenham House. You know, Brettenham House is the no. big white building on Waterloo Bridge. And actually, it's funny I should even bring this up because I thought, what the fuck am I doing in this place? Suit and time. Good afternoon. This is Mr. Laffey, head of ambient media sales. And I thought, when I went there, they offered me this job. I didn't even know what ambient media sales is. 
by the way, in case you don't know, it's not television, radio, press, and you know, it's just like anything else. I was selling tickets on, selling uh, adverts on payslips and uh, oh timetables and anything that wasn't regular media. And I thought, what the hell am I doing this for? But I had to do it because I had a, my son was 18 months old. I had a mortgage to pay. Yeah. I had, you know, but as soon as I could stop doing it, yeah. I did stop doing yeah, it. Yeah, okay. And that, I think that's so important. It's just to follow the passion, follow what you love doing. So, and have enough humility to swallow it up that if you're broke and you need to do something, don't sit moaning and wait for someone else to come and resolve it for you. Go and get a fucking job at the local cafe or something and to pay your bills this week. Yeah. Because you might only have to do it for a month, but do it right now. 100%. You know. We've got a minute left. Wrap it up. How, what would you like to say to anyone that's listening or watching about you know, anyone that's young, old, passion, art, music? Life is very short. Be happy as many days of the week as you can. That's it. That is it, isn't it? It truly is. Like, I've always believed just be as happy as possible. Be, with, who, be with people who make you happy. Do things that make you happy. Let your body and your life run the way it wants to run. If you like going to bed at four in the morning and getting up at midday, then so be it. Do what you need to do. Yeah. But be, be appreciative of your life because it's fleeting. So, you know, don't overindulge yourself you know be hit fit, fit enough wealthy enough and happy enough that life is a joy every day amazing jerry leffy thank you so much it's been an absolute it's pleasure always a pleasure sitting thank with you, you nathan